Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Welcome to the Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton Lucas, and I'm delighted to bring you this episode with painter Charlie Peters. I have been a longtime fan and follower of Charlie's work, but never actually had the chance to go to her studio and talk to her. So I was really looking forward to chatting to her about her very striking work and her amazing commissions. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I am sitting in the South Bermondsey studio of artist Charlie Peters and surrounded by her paintings. Charlie's paintings are very striking in their combination of clashing elements. She paints with bold strokes of colour and layers this with digital symbols, screen graphics, grids, visual glitches, many very familiar to viewers in this digital age. Charlie says, by remixing the things I've consumed visually and putting them onto a canvas, I make fantastical worlds where intuitive smears of paint coexist with hard-edged geometry, and the language of modernist painting meets the everyday aesthetics of screen culture to make something new but strangely familiar. I believe that everyone should have their place to belong, and if you don't fit into the real world, you have the power to make your own. The world that Charlie has created clearly appeals to many. She has exhibited internationally at Saatchi Gallery and the House of Worth showroom in London, as well as galleries in Rome, Yantai, New York and Dankst. Her clients include House of Vans, Facebook, ITV and the amazing charity Hospital Rooms. Charlie has a PhD in fine art theory and practice. She is a peer reviewer for the Journal of Contemporary Painting and on the editorial board of Terps Banana. She is a visiting tutor in fine art at City and Guilds of London Art School, a visiting painter mentor at Terps Art School, and a postgraduate senior lecturer at the University of Arts London. Thank you so much for having me in your studio, Charlie. You're welcome. It's lovely to see you here. Thank you for coming today. It's lovely to see your paintings in real life. I haven't ever actually seen them and they're all around us in the studio. Yeah, I know. I think people are often quite surprised when they see my paintings in real life. I suppose my biggest audience is an online audience, as is the case for a lot of artists today. And when you're looking at stuff on a screen, it all looks the same size. It all looks quite flat and graphic. But I definitely situate my work within the world of studio painting. So it's quite a messy process. And when you see them in real life, I think they're probably bigger than you expect them to be. And they're much more textured and lumpy and physical experiences than you might expect from looking at them on, say, Instagram. Mm. Yes, definitely. And you use the word lumpy, but I can see lumps in the painting. <laughs> they are lumpy. You know, and I love that. I think 
I could try harder to get rid of the lumpy, bumpy bits and the dusty bits and the bits of hair that get stuck to them. <laughs> but in a way, that's what makes them kind of human creations rather than something that I have done digitally. And I'm very much a kind of hands-on artist. I don't actually work digitally that well. I get fr- quite frustrated sitting in front of a computer. And for me, my work always starts in the studio, either with little scribbly drawings on bits of scrappy paper or more often just by putting colour on a canvas. So it definitely comes from a place that has to have my hands touching it Mm. which is interesting because you of course have these elements that we're used to seeing on the screen yeah I know and actually what happened I think with that is I just started painting quite intuitively and these geometric forms started to emerge as part of my visual language and I think over time they've become more synonymous with a digital experience I'm not sure that was the intention to begin with I think now I'm aware that that's how people were receiving them and I started to see a connection between things that to me were probably completely abstract when I first started making these type of paintings I was using grids you know obviously that's kind of like a standard of like some classic modernist painting lots of hard edge stuff but also those kinds of gestural smears that you might be more kind of familiar with from abstract expressionist painting I mean they're all the best bits of art history for me but I think the more paintings that I've made the more I've started to see a connection between elements of motifs from those very familiar types of painting from art history to the world that we see on the screen every day. And I think that kind of surprised me for a while and intrigued me. And now, obviously, because I'm aware of that, it's a much more conscious process of actually finding or sourcing or locating things that maybe sometimes deliberately reference things we Mm. see on the screen and mixing that up with things that just happen just by chance. Mm. It's an interesting combination because, as you say, both elements are familiar in different ways but it's very rare to see them combined particularly actually painted onto the onto a canvas I know and I think as well because like the digital world is synonymous with like being quite fast-paced and we experience images very very rapidly today either scrolling through Instagram or by having numerous tabs open on a computer screen at once and my eyes are flicking from one Mm -hmm. bit of visual information to another But my paintings are quite laborious to make. They take quite a long time. There's elements of it that are very impulsive where I just literally throw paint onto a canvas and move it around to create shapes within the surface that I then respond to. But there's also elements that, you know, are very precisely painted. And I think in the end, they do look very graphic and precise, although there's a kind of mashup of different techniques involved in them. But I love that in a world where we experience everything so quickly... You know, I, I can spend quite a long time making paintings and they very much feel like the timing of them is quite important in terms of how they make. I want them to be things that are made quite carefully. Mm. And looking at them, they do seem very precise, but I read some, um, in an interview that you paint quite freely. You don't pre-plan your paintings and you don't know how they're going to end up. Which I think some people might find surprising (laughs) looking at it. I think a lot of people do find that surprising. But generally in life, I'm not very good at planning anything. Like if I try to plan something, it will definitely go wrong. So (laughs) I've learned to not try to do that in in art or life anymore for the better results. But no, I I can't start with a plan. I have to just put colour on a canvas. And that's where things start to happen for me. Most artists are terrified to have beautiful white pieces of paper or blank canvases in the studio. So for me, a way to get over that is just to put something on there and then you've got something to respond to. My paintings are a kind of process of action and reaction. 
I, I have to do it that way around. I can't have an idea and then make it happen. And I work in layers. So I'll get to a certain point in the painting where there's a few layers of sploshy looking paint on the canvas. And then I'll sit and I might do a few little quick sketches that are just putting shapes in different areas of the composition just to work out how to balance things. And I go from there really. Mm. And yeah, I usually have more than one painting on the go so I can bounce ideas around from one to the other. I find it really hard to think of just focus on one thing at a time. That's true with a lot of things. I think my brain is just very active and I find it really hard to just kind of stay concentrated on one thing. I like to have lots of sort of things stimulating me all Mm. at once. So do you have a certain point where you know you've finished a painting? Because I feel as though there's a lot of elements and you could be tempted to just keep adding. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things I've realised and it's also a constant frustration is that because I'm making decisions as I go along in a painting, every painting could also be 500 other different paintings. And Mm. that makes me feel quite often quite anxious that I'm never going to have enough time in my whole life to make all the paintings that I have inside me. But you have to make decisions as to when to stop. And for me, it's often quite and this sounds quite wafty and strange like a kind of quite physical feeling so I will step back from something and when it is finished or when I think it is finished it will a it'll look kind of like compositionally balanced but it'll it'll be quite a physical thing I feel like I can breathe like an exhale often when I'm painting it feels like I'm holding my breath the whole time because I don't know where it's going and there is some stress and anxiety related to that for the whole time I'm working on something And because of the way I paint, I use a lot of masking as well. So often big areas of the painting are covered up. So Mm. I don't often see the painting all in one go until I take all the masking and the paper off it. But when I do think it feels like it's finished, it feels like a relief, like it's a very physical experience. And it's almost like I can push the painting away from me. It feels like I can put distance between me and the painting. And it is like a kind of, oh, God, it's done. You know, Mm. it's kind of a... You know, our bodies are weird things. I think they betray our feelings quite often, you know. And I think for me, that's it. It just I just feel like it's done. In terms of the physical, looking at the paintings in this room, as you say, they're larger than you might expect seeing on the screen. So these big strokes of paint, I mean, this is a really big stroke. <laughs> so it feels like it's, yeah, quite a physical act of painting that you're doing. On these larger canvases, and I really like working on this scale as well. So these canvases are bigger than me. And I mean, I can't have that many on the go Mm because I have to pick them up and move them around the studio, which is like kind of physically difficult. But I love this. It really allows you to experience the paint as a very kind of haptic thing. Paint is a tricky material to work with, you know, to a point you can learn how to control it, but not completely. It always does its own thing. And it's much more fun letting it do its own thing on a big surface. Mm. I think it's great. And that's when you really get like the biggest impact of like colours and shapes put together as well. For me, I love making big paintings, Mm. big alpha paintings. (laughs) (laughs) And what are these works for? Are they for a particular show? So there's three paintings on the wall that are similar size. So these three, which are a little bit smaller, so they're a metre by 80 they're all going to London Art Fair mm-hmm. in April. And then these larger paintings are going into, they're going to be loaned to a members club later on in this year. So these series I'm just working on now are sort of committed to go somewhere out of the studio. But often I do just make paintings because I want to make them. I don't always make things for shows or for, you know, projects that I've committed to. I think for me, it's really important to be painting all the time. 
usually if I'm in a bad mood I realize it's because I haven't done enough painting that week and as soon as I'm back in the studio (laughs) then I feel like a much nicer person again Mm. so you really are painting for the sake of painting and not with a particular audience or particular gallery in mind yeah often I mean like sometimes galleries do ask you to make paintings or you get commissions to do paintings for clients and that's that's fine but I think mostly I paint I just paint because I have to paint you know and if I'm not in here every day doing something creative I I don't feel good Mm. so looking back at some of your past shows I mentioned the Saatchi Gallery show like how did that come about and which what works did you show there and that was a really cool show actually so that was called Harder Edge and it was kind of a group of contemporary artists who I suppose whose practice involves the use of the hard edge which harks mm. back to the kind of the you know 1960s Californian hard edge paintings that are very sort of graphic often quite minimal and from a particular point in history where I think abstraction was quite radical obviously it's not nothing's radical anymore we've seen everything a million times yeah. so you know really I think we're in an era where artists can like borrow languages from the past or just revisit things but in a very sort of contemporary way and Harder Edge was curated by the artist Dominic Beatty and Ali Hillman who was the curator then of the hospital club in mm-hmm. Covent Garden and they put together a group of artists that were sort of multi-generational, so very young artists working with much more established artists who all used elements of the hard edge within their work. So kind of hard geometric shapes, masking tape, all those kind of classic things that those great kind of, you know, sort of geometric painters of like sort of you know, 1950s, 60s, 70s were using, but very much with a, a sort of modern take on it. And it was a really great show, actually, showing work in the Saatchi Gallery is, was a great experience. It's a huge gallery space has amazing clean lighting and you know it's really interesting I think that's one of the shows I've done where I've made paintings that feel quite big in the studio but when I put them in like a proper big gallery Mm. they actually don't look that big anymore (laughs) it's really interesting for artists to do that I think to show in different types of spaces because the space you show your work in completely changes how your work feels and how how it has a presence. And I think for me, that's really fascinating. When I've done work in sort of non-conventional gallery spaces as well, I always really love that. I think it's good that your paintings bring life to spaces and the spaces give a different reading to your work as well. It is like a, you know, paintings have a really interesting relationship with architecture, I think. It's interesting you say that because, of course, most artists will be in very small studios. I mean, you have a beautiful studio here with a big window, but lots of studios would be half this size, wouldn't they? And so they're used to thinking about their works in that scale. This is the biggest studio I've ever had. And before this, I, I had quite a lot of small studios with very low ceilings, no windows, and, you know, and actually I was trying to save money at a point in my life where I probably didn't have that much. So I was just being sort of economical, but it completely affected the work I was making. I think by the time I left my last studio, you know, I'd be in a very tiny room and it's just over the road here. Actually, the building has now, of course, been knocked down and made into luxury flats. <laughs> so I wasn't there for very long, but I used to sit in there all day. And the problem is with artificial light, you can't see color very mm-hmm. clearly. And I use a lot of color in my work. So there's frustrations around that. But also, you know, I was making work that was very small and I get quite frustrated making small works. It's actually much harder to make precise, masked off areas of painting Mm -hmm. on a small surface. It's actually much easier 
to do it on a larger surface. You know, every tiny wobbly bit of paint shows on a small canvas, but it doesn't on a larger one, you know. And that's the, the beauty of working big is that optically it's a lot more forgiving. But I remember I would come out, I wouldn't have a clue what the weather was like outside. I'd be in the studio all day and come out and it'd be like, oh, it's actually a nice day out here. Why do I feel a bit sad? And it's because oh, no. I hadn't had like any sunlight for the whole day. And yeah. I'd just been in this weirdly kind of fluorescently lit room where... I really hadn't got a clue what I was making and the size and the scale and the precision of the work was trying to start to drive me a little bit, you know, batty, to be honest with you. And I came to look at this space thinking, oh, I'm not going to pay that much money for a proper studio and blah, 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 and I don't need a window. And actually, as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh, God, this is what you get if you actually in- invest a little bit more in yourself. And for me, that was, you know, a difficult decision to spend more on a studio. But really, mm-hmm. I managed to talk myself around into thinking I'm investing in my career and in myself And I could start to make the paintings that I really felt like I wanted to make. And then when you're happier with your work and you're making paintings that feel true to you, funnily enough, more people like them too. (laughs) And then more opportunities come to carry on making those. So for me, you know, it was a calculated risk as to I don't really want to spend loads of money on the studio. I'm a single parent. You know, I also have to pay for a flat and lots of other stuff Mm -hmm. that we all have to pay for, like on a daily basis. But for me, it's paid off because as soon as I moved here and made made bigger, more ambitious work, I started getting better and more ambitious projects coming my way. So I do think, you know, if you can, if you can afford to like believe in yourself and invest a little bit more in your workspace, then it probably will pay off in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's such an impressive space to come into and see your works, especially these larger pieces. Do you have many studio visits? Would you invite people over to your studio to see the work? I mean, yeah. I should invite more people over. And when people come, it's always a really, you know, interesting and useful exchange. But I'm not someone that's very sociable when I'm in the studio. It's lovely having you here today, I have to say. (laughs) But, you know, and it is nice when people come. But naturally, I like to come into the studio, shut the door and be left alone. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm really focused when I'm in here. And if I have people coming, it actually means... I can't do any work for a whole day. Like I cannot organize my head. So I'm doing a bit of painting and waiting for someone to come. I'll just be sat waiting for someone to come and not do anything. So, you know, if people are coming, I generally make sure they're scheduled in a few weeks in advance. So I am mentally unprepared for not being able to do anything that that day Mm. other than talking. (laughs) (laughs) And when we're talking about your work, you've also done quite a lot of writing about art, haven't you? You've got your PhD and you've contributed to various journals and editorials. How do you find talking about your own, writing about your own work? Do you enjoy that process? Does it influence your practice? Oh, God, no, I hate writing <laughs> about my own work. I much prefer writing about other people's work. And I think through that experience of reflecting critically on what other people do, that helps me see things within my own work that I might not see otherwise. I think it provides a context for you or a filter through which to look at your own work. It's much easier talking about other people's work than your own (laughs) because, you know, what the hell do any of us do in the studio? It's probably best not to ask those questions. Because if you go into that, why am I here? What am I doing? Like wormhole, you don't don't come out very easily or, you know, it just stops you making things quite a long time. (laughs) I don't think I'm a natural writer. God knows why I did a PhD. I mean, like, because I found it very difficult. I'm not actually very academic. I think I'm quite good at writing, but my writing is, it's much more sort of chatty and conversational. And I think it's, it's quite lively, my writing. I think it, it feels a bit like my paintings look. You know, it definitely has a voice, but I'm, I'm definitely a painter that does some writing. I'm not 
I'm not an art writer. And how do you feel when you read other people's writings about your work? I usually like it. I mean, I, I love that people come and they find things in the paintings that you might not see there yourself. And even if there's a conflict between what people are writing about your work, then it doesn't matter for me. And I think it works really well with my paintings because I use a lot of motifs. They're a mixture of kind of knowingly familiar mm. things that you might recognise from the real world, but also maybe sometimes they're not. But I love that people can come and bring their own experiences to them. I think the more paintings I've made, the more I've just embraced the fact that they are like a kind of big mega mix of lots of stuff that has inspired <laughs> me or fed me throughout my life from mm. from being a kid and watching too much tv like you know I sometimes look at my paintings and think oh it's a bit cartoony and rubbish no one's gonna take that seriously but actually I can't escape that none of us can escape our own hands you know we have our own voice and it will always come out so you've sort of got to embrace that and accept it and you know take it on board but people come with interesting things to say about other people's work I think I do enjoy that quite a lot well, you've had quite a few commissions, so obviously your work is appealing to quite a range of people. Can you tell me about what that experience? I know that you did a large-scale piece. Was it for Facebook? What was that like? I mean, yeah, actually, I love doing work that is like these sort of strange commissions that take your work outside of the limits of a canvas. Essentially, I'm a studio painter. This is my, my happy place where I could happily come here every day and just make paintings on mm. canvas couple of things that's not how you're ever going to make a living as an artist for most of us you know you have to find other ways to make money preferably by also being creative at the same time so for me one of the ways that I also practice is to do like commissioned wall paintings or public artworks and that really challenges me I think to see my aesthetic or my language in a different context which mm -hmm. I actually love you know just going back to what we were talking about earlier about that relationship between painting and architecture. I think if you take that out of the gallery setting and into public spaces or like architectural spaces, that can really bring painting to life in a different way. And of course, you know, give different audiences an opportunity to see it, which, you know, I'm really committed to that. I don't just want to make paintings for gallery people to go and see. I want everybody to see my work every day. So the Facebook commission was, was a really great project to work with. They're actually a really good company to work with. It was one of the those things that I wasn't expecting it just came out of the blue as an email one day we were in lockdown so you know a lot of those opportunities had disappeared temporarily mm. and I got an email which I thought was a kind of scam email saying that um, I'm a curator from Facebook really like your work we'd love you to come and do like a, a big sort of 12 meter painting in our head office in London and I of course was scrolling all the way down the email to find out where I had to put my credit card details in so this is absolutely <laughs> yes. nonsense this can't be true but I sort of you know looked up the creator did a little bit of you know sort of sensible googling and found out that actually it was a legitimate person <laughs> which was a relief and exciting and yeah so we had a little zoom chat about the project the downside of that was and this seems to happen quite a lot with me is that it was a very short turnaround in terms of the project. So Facebook was handing their building back from contractors back to Facebook two weeks after I got the email. So I literally had two weeks from the first Zoom conversation about the project to submitting a proposal for a design to commissioning people to work with me on the project. I worked with the London Mural Company who were amazing 
And it all had to be signed off like literally two weeks after wow. the first contact during lockdown where not everywhere was open. But it was still great. In a way, those kinds of things that are initially hugely stressful and full of angst are actually really good. You can't overthink things. Mm. You have to just get on with stuff. And actually, if you think you can do like a big, you know, commission that's actually quite significant for me in terms of the work I've done and the sort of level of clients I've worked with, if you can turn that around in two weeks, that's great. You know, it's only two weeks of stress rather than six months, which, yes. you know. And I suppose I'm, you don't overthink it then. You just absolutely not. And have from, to do it. For me, overthinking is a, is a curse. You know, if I start engaging my rational, logical brain and thinking about what I'm going to do, this is what we're talking about, planning, it'll go wrong. I can't do it. I'll just turn, tie myself in knots, convince myself I'm the worst artist ever and probably just go and have a glass of wine and cry. But if I just <laughs> get on with it and like, don't worry and just trust my ability to do things, you know, and I've developed some strategies to, to do that, which sounds probably a bit strange, but if I like sit and open a sketchbook and try to draw an idea, it won't happen. I won't mm. do anything. I'll just procrastinate or go on Instagram or waste you know, two days of time I don't have. So I've developed this strange system where I'll walk down the street with a pack of post-it notes and try and empty my head and just draw shapes. And then when I get home, I'll kind of look at them and and there'll be something that comes out of it. It's almost like automatic drawing. When mm -hmm. I see that I've drawn the same shape over and over again, it'll be like, oh, well, it must be that, you know, I'm thinking about circles on some subconscious level. Again, this all sounds nonsense, but it's absolutely <laughs> the way that, works for mm. me and I think finding those tricks are really important to artists there's no one way to be creative yes. and for me certainly giving a getting a brief which is something I'm not used to doing I generally just freestyle and do whatever the hell I want which I love but when you have a brief and you have a weird space to work with mm. like the Facebook wall was quite strange it's on two stories but there's a bit sticking out and there's pipes coming out the wall yeah. if I'd overthought that I would never have done anything so I generally have to accept that I go through a phase of trying to plan, hating it and myself, and then just going out, forgetting all about doing it properly and just letting something come out. And I literally draw as I'm walking down the street. Mm. So people must think I'm really strange, <laughs> you know, or I sit on the bus and just go, go for like a few stops on the bus. And just something about moving and traveling and not being sat thinking about it mm. really helps me to get stuff out. Mm. And so to go back to the Facebook commission, did they give you a strict brief and did they have lots of edits once you'd sent over your proposal? Well, no. And I think what was going in my favour is the lack of time they gave me to do it. I mean, I was expecting there to be many more limits on the brief, but there wasn't. It was literally, there's this wall, we'd like you to do something on it, tell us what you think. And I had, I think I did a site visit and then the, I had to get the proposal to them two days later, which isn't very long, really. Mm. But, you know, I had to just do it. And then I was sent it off. I was really scared. You know, I sent them a sort of badly photoshopped thing that I'd hashed <laughs> together from some scribbly post-it notes. And I was expecting them to come back and say, oh, God, no, it's dreadful. You need to do this, this, this. And actually, they were like, I oh, know, it's perfect. It looks great. Just do it. Which was, you know, either lucky or, you know, mm. I don't know, whatever. Or maybe I just did a much better job with walking down the street my post-it notes <laughs> that day. So your proposal wasn't super polished with lots of technical drawings we well, see I'm, I'm generally quite rubbish I think with computers I can use photoshop to an adequate standard 
And it looked okay. I mean, actually, you can see the proposal on the wall. Mm. There's a little printout of it. And the the final painting does look pretty much like it, which was good. Really, I had to make something that was for Facebook to see what it would look like. So I didn't do like a fancy 3D render of it because I wouldn't be able to. I just did a flat sort of elevation, like photoshopped with colours and shapes that looked exactly as they would look if they were painted. And then I also had to send that to the London Mural Company who were working with me on it. Mm. So they knew what we were working on as well. And I probably had more technical conversations with them about how to mix the colours in advance and, you know, how to make things simpler and easier and less likely to make a huge mess at Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) That was more involved in terms of the logistics of making the painting. The, The Facebook thing was, yes, the proposal's great, get on with it. But then, of course, they did come with lots of their own sort of institutional caveats of I couldn't tell anybody I had to sign an NDA. There's lots of health and safety things. It was in lockdown, so we had to wear face masks, obviously, and have our temperatures checked every time we came in the building. So they came with their own rules Mm -hmm. and working with other people to make the painting came with their own rules as well. But, I mean, it was actually really good. Everyone involved in the project was brilliant. It sounds as though... You had lots of room for your creativity and it was just the practical elements that you had to work out. But essentially you could do what you wanted and they believed in you as an artist and let your vision lead the project. Yeah, and I think that's probably because that's their Facebook and they probably are quite sort of happy to take risks, but I think they probably do good research into artists Mm -hmm. as well. That's the thing about having, I think, a confident and identifiable style. I hate to use the word style because it sounds so kind of fashionable and transient. Mm. But if you have a particular language or aesthetic that people can understand, then they know what they're going to get. And it's much better to do it that way around, which is something that, you know, I, I feel grateful for, that sometimes I get opportunities offered to me rather than having to bid for them. Mm. That's a much more difficult process of you trying to convince someone that you're your language, your aesthetic, your approach to a project would work in their space. When people ask you to do stuff, they generally have an idea that they like what you're doing. It Mm. makes a difference. But you do have a genuine painting practice as well, as I think there are lots of artists who are trying to make it more in the mural world. And do you ever feel that you don't want to be labelled as one of those sorts of artists? I feel like, I think it's like there's a tr- there's a tricky balance at yeah, the moment for artists, isn't there? There doing... is, but a lot of these things are like linguistic problems that are like quite triggering for artists. And I think interesting artists have a lot of words that trigger them. It's like, oh my god, I'm not that, I'm not that. Like I hate yeah. people saying my work is colourful because that implies I'm just splashing primary colours around willy nilly, and I'm not. I use colour, I think, quite well and quite carefully. And in a sort of balanced way. And there's other things like you know, if you use a repeated form. People say it's a pattern, well, it's, it's probably not, it's a repeated form. <laughs> yeah. And they're little quibbly things that we all get very, like, you know, angsty about. I actually wouldn't say that I paint murals. I think murals have, like, historically a precedent to be, like, political or to be, you know, maybe more recently, you know, a mural is something that you see outside on the street. Mm. I've never painted outdoors, not that I wouldn't. But, you know, it's a, it's a different way of approaching painting I'm a studio painter yeah so I think about the paintings that I do on walls as wall paintings Mm. in the same vein and I'm not comparing myself at all but you know in the same way that Sol LeWitt would make a wall drawing or Bridget Riley would do a wall painting not that I'm anywhere near as good as them (laughs) but in terms of how I would contextualize that side of my practice I'd be much more likely to say that although 
and fair enough as soon as people see a painting on the wall it's a mural that's also okay like I'm not going to have a big row with someone over it or go off in a bad mood (laughs) because I understand that as well well talking of painting on walls I'm looking at this one of your pieces on the wall here and I recognize these I don't know what to say now I don't want to say the (laughs) triggering word (laughs) um these elements that I that remind me of your hospital rooms commission and to give context to that hospital rooms is an amazing charity that places art in mental health units I'm involved as a development committee member and that's actually how I came across your work and I've heard firsthand from the team how thoughtfully they place the work in the unit. It's not just putting up work, it's working with the patients there and the staff there and thinking about how it's a site-specific piece. But I wanted to talk to you about that commission, how that came about, how you know the team and what it was like painting there. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of my my favourite and probably most thought-provoking and sort of, I don't know, life-changing projects that I've done. Hospital Rooms are an amazing charity and I've known them since before Hospital Rooms was a thing. Like, mm. I was shortlisted for the Denton's Art Prize that Neve was the curator for. I think it was the first or the second one that they did. So... And that predated hospital rooms as far as I know. And we've always said that we wanted to work together on something. But I mean, I think the hospital commissions take quite a long time to come into fruition. So it took probably three years from Tim and Neve saying, I'd really like you to work on a, on a hospital project with us to it actually happening. And yet they're very careful and rightfully so about the type of work that goes into each unit. Now, I completely think that's, that's right. And I think as I, as you get kind of reactions to your work as you go through life, you start to understand that there's an audience for it and there's a kind of sensibility to your work you can never avoid. Like my work is, I would say, quite active. It's quite dynamic. It's not very calming and it's not particularly sort of peaceful or likely to put you into a meditative space. So there's only particular types of clinical environments where my work would be appropriate, you know, and that's fine. I couldn't imagine going into, you know, like a, a ward with severely unwell people and doing like a big splashy, active, like vibrating, you know, dynamic, noisy painting. Mm. That would be completely inappropriate. So I did a project working in a, in a young people's unit. So it's a children's psychiatric locked ward. So the kids in there were between 11 and 18. So very young patients and actually that felt like a really good environment for my work to be in all hospital rooms artists do a workshop with the patients and a site visit before you finalize your proposal for the unit and I did a workshop where we made some little kind of just really simple again like shapes and colors which is like the basis of my work it's no more complicated than that quite often is what happens if I put this shape next to this color or whatever we did a really simple collage workshop and collage is a really easy and quick way to get like kind of visual aesthetics working together or clashing things and I used some of the ideas that the young people had generated in that workshop to develop a design so I wanted them to have like a kind of voice within the room because we were in a locked psychiatric unit, you can't have any like sharp tools in there. So obviously I use like a scalpel in the studio a lot or scissors to cut tape or to cut like sort of templates for things. We had to do a lot of ripping and folding. And some of the young people started to do these amazing, almost like sort of sculptural folded things with the paper that we were painting on. And I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, of course, I hadn't thought to do that because you come into the studio, you use the tools you're used to using. 
so I really loved the innovation of that and just kind of it was like it was like oh immediate problem solving they want like a hard edge so they're gonna just fold it and so I wanted to make a painting in a room in the hospital that had this kind of sense of like folded space I didn't work in a clinical area because of the aforementioned reasons that it felt like my work probably wouldn't be the most best suited mm-hmm. in one of those spaces where people might want to go to calm down so I made work that was in like a, a meeting room and it was in this scary looking room called the tribunal room which is where sort of patients and staff and sometimes their parents sit through uh, appeals against section notices or just sort of general like progress meetings. So it's a very highly used room in the hospital. It's sometimes the only room that people from outside the hospital will see if they don't go into the main sort of like clinical areas. They will just meet in the meeting room, in the tribunal room, and that will be like their, their experience of Bluebird House. But it's also a room that is seen on video conferencing. So I love that actually, if I worked in that room, some people would see my work on a screen. And obviously that's part of my language as well. Mm-hmm. So that made sense to me. You know, and probably the egotistical part of me thought that means more people are going to see my room than <laughs> anyone else because they're going to see it from also when they're offsite. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. Incidentally, though, it was only the only room in the hospital that had like a blank wall that didn't have cameras or microphones or two-way mirrors or pin boards or notice boards or posters you know if you've ever been into like any hospital they're generally quite visually cluttered places with stuff everywhere mm. and I wanted a really nice blank wall to do basically to do a nice painting on so there are many reasons why I you know put in a little proposal for that space and I think it worked really well in the end When I spoke to one of the occupational therapists after the painting was finished, he said that they'd had quite a, um, quite an agitated young person in a meeting in that room. And they would usually have been quite fidgety and standing up and walking around and pacing around and quite angry or upset in the meeting. But he said he saw her sit there and just trace the contours of the shapes of my painting with her eyes. And she said, sat sort of still for two hours, which he said, absolutely has never happened before. And when you get those stories, it's like, that's how art really makes the world a better place. And Mm. there's some people that, you know, their lives are incredibly difficult and incredibly different to ours in ways that you could never imagine. But to think that I've made something, you know, that I can bring some, some skills and some, you know, some, some goodwill and just have that relationship with people in that space for a certain amount of time and leave something there that might make their lives happier. For me, that really means something. Mm. Oh, Charlie, that is amazing. It's an amazing story and it's amazing to hear your process and the response that the patients had to the work. Um, an amazing project to be part of. And obviously, Hospital Rooms is an incredible charity. I think that's a a great place to finish our conversation a really nice note to finish on before we do finish I always ask our artists what advice would you have for an artist starting out and I know that you probably have so much advice having done so many interesting projects but if you had to give one piece of advice what would you say oh god it's so hard for me to just say one thing uh, yeah. <laughs> know, sorry about that. Uh, I'm just trying a to think piece. of a way to kind of like make it um useful and kind of concise Look, honestly, the most important thing is just to believe in you and to be brave enough to be the real you and mm-hmm. to just show up as you. Really, none of us should be making work that looks like anybody else's. We're all unique, wonderful, creative people in the world. And whatever work you make, whatever work comes out of you, honestly and intuitively, is the right work for you to be making. 
it's very hard to believe in yourself. Sometimes being an artist is the strangest career anybody could ever have. Um, riddled with doubts and questions about why am I spending all my time in a freezing cold, dirty room making stuff that maybe no one will ever want to see. But actually, if you can just be brave and resilient and stick with it and believe in yourself, be nice to other people, connect with people, be present online and just make those relationships with people that will kind of become your peer network. That's really, really important. So yeah, generally be brave, be nice, believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great advice. Thank you so much. I loved being in your studio and seeing your works and hearing all about what you're up to at the moment. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for coming. It's been such a lovely chat. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please follow Charlie at Charlie Peters and the podcast at The Visible Artist Podcast. I've got another great guest lined up for you next week. So stay tuned, enjoy your week in the studio, and I'll see you next Friday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.